Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Assistant Administrator and Chief Information Officer. Russ, welcome back to the program. Good to see you again. Great to be here. Good seeing you again. I think the last time you were on the show was April 2018, so a lot has changed over the last two years, and a lot has changed over the last about six or seven months, so there's a lot to talk to. So let's just jump right in, Russ. Start us off with TSA strategy for digital transformation. Give me a sense of what it looks like and what's involved. I always start with the first thing that my top priority is always stability. You know, being a counterterrorism organization, the number one responsibility for me is to make sure our systems are operational. Uh, that they're secure and they continue to service the American people in, in a traveling public. So that's that's number one. You you ask about digital transformation, and for us, and there's really a couple elements, but it's really keeping pace with the application and new technology and delivering that to the customer to drive the mission forward. It's built on really two two principles. One, the ability to engage our customers and envision how technology can help them. A lot of times, they think they know. Or, or they don't, but it's for us to have those folks in place to help them point them down the road in solving their problems. And two is to deliver it with speed and agility. Obviously, efficiency, you know, the right price and get that stuff done, but put that technology in their hands quickly so that they can be effective and move the mission forward. We built a digital services team about a year ago to help with that effort. And that was a, that's a group of folks that, uh, that are engineers and software specialists and developers and security specialists and folks who know how to run programs to kind of cut through the red tape so they can get right in the hands of sort of like a triage operation to get right in the hands of, uh, with the customers and help them walk through you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve, what's, what is the capability that you need that you don't have, or you need a little bit more of this, and to put that small team on with uh, you know, important projects and, and not burden them with all the other process and all the responsibilities that the rest of my organization has. They get out there, and then when they start to build that what if, then the rest of that team will come in and help, and we can deliver things quickly in an agile DevSecOps manner. A couple of things let me back up on. First of all, the customer side of this, and we're going to talk a little bit about customer services and how things have changed. When you talk about the customer side, that's where this digital transformation team, I imagine, is really spending time with the mission areas, really spending time with the people on the ground who say, hey, we need this capability. Okay, let us get there. Let's help you get there. That, that's the, if you will, integration. We've got a great customer service team already at TSA. But what I wanted to be able to do is sort of triage big things that come up. Uh, and they come up all the time in, in the world of federal CIOs. Somebody needs something. COVID's a great example when, when we go to talk about that. But the ability to put people on it, just grab that team, maybe have a design studio effort to talk about, get whiteboards up and start at the you know 50,000 foot level, move ourselves down. What's the problem you have? Help walk them and facilitate them through that. And what would you like to be able to do? And then figure out what technologies you know, that are out there can support it. We try and keep these people on the cutting edge of technology, knowing what's out there. They're sort of a little bit different track from the rest of my office. And then sometimes we have to reel them in a little because there are some things we have to do. But I want the big thinkers to be able to come up with those. And sometimes you challenge people uh, to be the big thinker and think about it and ask me why three times why I can't do something. And that was the idea behind uh, digital transformation. Our, Our administrator is fantastic. And that's the way he thinks. So, you know, listening to him a few times, I said, we need to be able to react quickly to things that are truly priorities and make sure they're priorities, make sure we can fund them, but uh, make sure we understand the technology implications and whether we can do it and how quickly we can do it. 
And that's sort of the, the puzzle piece that we brought in. And uh, we've been really successful with some, with some major uh, deliveries in a short period of time. And when we talk about major deliveries in a short period of time, that's where the DevSecOps or Agile development side. You said you at TSA were maybe a little slower than, than others with it, but you wanted to see how things went. But now, as you said, no more waterfall development. That's a huge, huge success story. Walk me through where you guys are at in terms of delivering capabilities. I know every project is different, but do you have a sense of we're trying to do it every two weeks, every month, when you talk about Agile and DevSecOps? You know, it used to be six months would be rapid development. And really, you're talking about a year and two years. And when you got down to the end of that, it never worked the way you wanted it to work. So for us, I didn't say we necessarily started slow. We were cautious. And I believe if I, I could steal something from three other CIOs, I can make it a little bit better. And we started out with, we don't trust the cloud, right? We, we were all there. I'm sure when you had this conversation five years ago, half of us didn't trust the cloud. Now we all trust the cloud. So maybe somewhere in the middle is the right place to be. But the, you know, understanding what those requirements are, the DevSecOps, I drove it. You know, we started with two-month agile delivery. We, we were driving that to three weeks. And so we've pretty much gotten that across the board. And, you know, we had to work with our acquisition uh, and our uh, contracts professionals to teach them. They had to learn just like we did. You know, the deliverables are different under an agile contract than, than what they are otherwise. And so we learned together. Teamwork was really important. We had great support there. So that's how we moved the agency. And, and sometimes it was slower than others. But, you know, when I laid out there, we're a SaaS-first organization. We're going to be agile. And uh, like I said, we started with two months every eight weeks. I want to be delivering capability. We're now down in most cases to three weeks and in some cases less than that. So it's been very successful. Absolutely a great success story. We hear a lot about people saying, oh, we're in DevSecOps. We're doing agile development. And then when you pull back the layer, you pull back the sheet, you go, oh, that's really waterfall with that, with that sheet on top that says DevSecOps or agile. Sounds like by delivering capabilities that often, you're, you are in true agile form. I want to talk a little bit about that technology transformation team a little bit more. What are the types of people that are on it? How big is the team? How do they decide on priorities? Walk me through a little bit about the way they're set up. It's a pretty small team, but they bring in other disciplines as they need it. You know, I've got the engineers on there. I've got the development folks on there. I've got the cyber folks on there. I've got people who understand program management on the team. Those are some of the core people. I've got folks that are really good at getting out a whiteboard and helping to hammer out what are, what are your real requirements? What is it your real, you know, what's broken? Or what do you need to do that you can't do today? Those kinds of things, uh, you know, is your, is your, are you trying to make it more efficient? Are you trying to cost less? Are you trying to get out of a data? You know, those, those kinds of things. But really, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And what's the capability? And they cut through that pretty quickly. And, you know, what I found when, and I didn't come from the technology side, I ran mostly the, uh, the operation side, whether it was a, the, the terrorism for the, for the agency and the program management. I started a lot of the programs. We, we really didn't know how to do that. We thought we knew how to do that. And I think we've gotten a lot better at that with design studio ability to get to really what are the requirements. You know, used to be they tell us what technology they wanted. Uh, and today, obviously, we're trying to, try to get away from that. Sometimes we already have something. You know, when you're in the cloud and you have licenses and you're doing SaaS, you probably got some of it already built. You could probably leverage, you don't need, need to build, build a brand new case management system. You're going to build off of what you already have. And, and then you really start to get efficiencies of scale there as well as speed. And you've learned, every time you build something, you learn something and you do it a little bit better the next time. I'd like to say we're perfect with getting the cyber on the front end. 
we're much better. You know, I think we're still learning from others. We're learning from ourselves. That is always our goal is that to not try and bolt cyber on at the back, bolt it on at the front. But cyber is a unique world. There's always something new around the corner. There's a new requirement. And then we have to be agile at how we do that as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, as the authorizing official, I sign and say we're willing to take that risk. There's always a little bit of give and take uh, in this. But you know, the great thing about being in technology is you get to help everybody. That's the most fulfilling piece. I can, I can help you. If we've got the money and we've got the time, we can definitely help everybody in the organization. One of the things that occurs to me as you talk about the digital transformation team, and they're hoping to, instead of wait to be told what technologies or wait to find what technologies, are they on the ground? Are they in airports? Or are they in TSA facilities asking or watching, observing? So a good example is there's a whole big move to digital identity vetting. There's a whole idea of a verification. Are they there saying to the TSOs or whomever, Hey, is that an issue? Hey, can I help you? Like, how does it all come together? So it's a little of both. We've got some really smart folks in there. So sometimes they come to us and we think it's a, we think it's a great candidate to go into that team to look at it. Or I'm in a meeting, I hear the administrator say something. I say, let's get some smart people to start thinking about that. And we'll go out and do the hunt team to find the right people for them to work with. And sometimes, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I, I think we'll come back to the COVID thing. But, uh, you know, one of the requirements at all of our airports, you know, we talked a little about 450 airports before. I've got 45,000 people all around the country and in some cases throughout the world at different offices. And that's a big footprint. And those screeners uh, that, that the public comes in contact with each and every day at those airports, how to really, we, we were really living in the past with how they scheduled their shift bids. We're in the federal government, so it's based on seniority. And then also leave. You would, you would sign out for leave bids. There wasn't a lot of real-time ability to change. And before COVID hit, those folks would come in twice a year. They'd get their uniform on. And they'd come into the office based on seniority. They'd get a schedule. They'd walk in the door. And up on the wall would be giant charts of available uh, bit shifts. And the same thing with leave. They'd do, these were different meetings. Uh, or it'd be on a spreadsheet somewhere. And they'd look to see what wasn't crossed out. And they'd pick it. Well, obviously, when COVID hit and it was time to do that, you've got large airports. You don't want all those people coming in the same room. Uh, meanwhile, we're challenged within the federal government that uh, bring your own device, you know, is pretty much a no-no. So we had to look at the, the data. How can we get the, how can we get that process out to them on their own laptops, on their own mobile devices that weren't federal devices, and be able to get in on their schedule and take a look at only the things that are left available to them, select it and never have to go into the office. So the digital services team did that. We started with a schedule bid. They went in and in less than 30 days from that very first meeting, we'd finished developing all the requirements, all the code. Uh, we, we did this in Salesforce, all the testing. We went out and tested it at three different, three different airports. We got the thumbs up. It was deployed to all the airports in less than 30 days. It was actually done in, I think, about 26 days. Which, is, which was monumental. Not every airport used it. Some of the very small ones didn't, didn't need it. They did it via phone, but all the big airports, and it was a huge success. We followed that up with doing the same thing for LeaveBid. Uh, and that digital services team, you know, we just made sure it was secure, made sure no sensitive data was at risk. So everything was behind, behind the curtain and nothing on their devices was sensitive other than they were able to see the shifts that were still available and things like that. So it was hugely successful. And of course, it kept everybody safe. And so that was a, that was a big success for the digital services team. I imagine at that point, you knew you were on the right track with the 
agile with the digital services team. You may have known it before, but that it's, it's if not, it refreshed the, your, your belief. Oh yes, we are doing the right thing. That's a great success story. Yeah. My constraints are not with things to do. My constraints are with the res like everybody else, the resources, you know, and that's the money and the people to do it. Uh, you know, we, we built a, a number of other things and we're very successful. You know, it, it's really is, do you have the time and money to do it? Can you, can you, operate the O&M funds in the back end. Cause that's one of my biggest challenges is, you know, budget budgets, a big challenge. You, you probably hear that over and over again from CIOs uh, and you've got to prioritize what you can do. I do always about budget and Russ, we're going to talk more about those issues and some of the success you had. And we'll, we'll jump into that COVID topic when we come back, but first let's take a quick break. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the transportation security administration's chief information officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on Federal News Network. Search Innovation in Government. Dan owed an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS. I got behind on my taxes. It's a horrible feeling. He was in denial. And when I got those letters from the IRS, he wanted to act like they didn't exist. Finally, Dan turned to Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved $1 billion for their clients. Optima got me a settlement with the IRS. These people are really people-friendly. It was every bit of a new lease on life for me. The fast action and the great results made Dan's head spin. I felt like I was in a dream, but it's real, and I have paperwork to prove it. They got the job done, and life is good. For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. If you're worried about what's going to happen with the IRS, stop worrying. Make the call now. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. tax relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. You know, there are a million reasons why people choose to support Shriners Hospitals for Children. It might be because Shriners Hospitals is recognized around the world as the leader in their innovative research. They're super smart. Or it could be the fact that Shriners Hospital specializes in giving transformative care so kids can get home quicker and get back to the important stuff, being a kid. Or maybe it's the way Shriners Hospitals is helping more kids in more places through the use of telehealth technology. This gives kids around the world life-changing quality care right where they are. Like I said, there are a million reasons to support Shriners Hospitals every month. But I bet I know the best ones. Me. Me. And me. There are a million reasons, and I... 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 I am one of them. Thank you! From PR to paid programs, learn what marketing is working for government contractors. Federal News Network. Search Amtower Off-Center. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. 
Russ, before break, we we're talking a lot about your your strategy for digital transformation, the move away from waterfall and into DevSecOps and agile development, huge success stories. I love the fact you say I'm a SaaS first person. And I think it's nice to hear CIOs who recognize that they can put everything in the cloud as much as possible and then take advantage of all that that comes with it. So that leads us down the path of the pandemic. You mentioned it a couple of times, how COVID impacted. We know just from everyday life that the airports, the airlines, all that was impacted in a big way because of the, the pandemic. From your perspective, how has the pandemic impacted your digital transformation strategy? And then we'll, we'll, we'll go a little bit deeper after we talk about that. Well, first of all, you know, when the pandemic hit and it became, it's sort of like you flipped a switch and you said, folks aren't going to be coming back into the office. You know, we went down nearly 98% of all flying traffic stopped flying. That was a major impact for our folks out in the field. Those flights quickly started to, to stop taking off overhead. So that was major. And then, you know, our headquarters that supports all of those field offices, folks weren't coming into the office. They didn't believe it was safe to come into the office. Luckily, I had invested in infrastructure and it was knock on wood. It was seamless for us. We had, you know, uh, you know I, I started this conversation with my top priority is stability and I put my money where my mouth was. Never got questioned that, you know, you're, you're spending too much on dual redundancy, but when we needed it, and all of a sudden you went from 200 people VPNing in to 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 people VPNing at your, at your peak periods, we lost no, no capability. We were still operating at well below maximum capacity. Uh, so sometimes you get lucky when you make those kind of decisions, and, and we did, and I've got a fantastic team that that not only made sure it was ready when we flipped the switch and everybody was on, but we had the ability to train people because a lot of those people didn't know how to do that, to, to have the capacity to kind of train the trainer and get the message out and do all of that stuff while at the same time answering the, the calls that came in. How do I do this? This doesn't work. So, you know, we transformed into a, in a telework agency like, like all the rest of them. And we did it in an exceptional manner. And, uh, you know, I know our administrator, uh, you know, pretty much every time he sees me, he thanks me for that. And of course, it's my folks who did that. Uh, but it was, you know, it makes you feel really good as, a, as an IT provider to be able to do that when something this major happens without any warning or any notice. So um, I'm really fortunate that we had the infrastructure in place to do that. Generally speaking, TSA had maybe 200 people a day teleworking. And then obviously you went to, as you mentioned, six, eight, 10,000 people. Was that, was that on average 200 people a day or so? Yes, you know, 200, there could be days with, with you know, six, seven, 800, but you didn't have, you didn't have 10 or 12,000 people on at a peak, at a, at a peak hour, uh, which is what we see pretty consistently around the 10,000, maybe just under the 10,000 on at any given time. And of course, pretty much everybody's VPNing in. So during the day. And how did you, when you said you prepared for that with the redundancy, the dual redundancy, did you at one time say, we may have to do this? Or what was the thinking behind it? Because a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to pay too much ahead of time for something that I may never use. I mean, we heard all the stories from a lot of CIOs who said, oh, in a matter of a week or a day or six weeks, we had to upgrade our VPNs, upgrade our VDIs, change our network. You all seem to be there based on what you, how you described it. Well, you know, if I was a different agency where I had most of my folks at headquarters or just at a few offices, it's a different, it's in a dis different environment. I always have to worry about losing one path because email is a mission essential capability for us and our leadership in the event something happens or just day-to-day -day operations when you've got to manage such a large workforce. 
you've got email is critical. It's absolutely critical a part of the communications as is Skype and the ability to jump on calls like this. We had a, a huge VTC capability that I, I said, I can't afford to lose this. You know, we would tabletop and those are the kinds of things that came up. If we lost our email, we'd be in a world of hurt. And so we, I put the resources in there. It wasn't, a, a, I mean, bang for the buck. I thought it was, I thought it was a, it wasn't an overly expensive, uh, expensive thing. There are things that you'd love to have redundancy on that, you know, are, are very, very expensive. And then you have to weigh that with all the other things you're going to do. But, you know, being able to get on these kinds of calls, being able to have the VPN available and the email available, I thought was mission essential for our agency and put the resources in there. Because I always think you could lose one. I could lose one. I need to be able to operate everything on the other. And then we're used to at TSA having some new threat streams and being, you know, having to spin up very, very quickly and do things. We do it behind the scenes, but that's the, that's the nature of our, our, our operation. At the same time, when you talk about the ability for the network to handle the VPN and people from email perspective and teleworking, did you also have to ensure the network could handle, for instance, new technology that you may be bringing in at airports for contactless or touchless for digital identity, for other types of technologies to, to keep TSOs safe? And they can wear masks, they can wear a shield, you can put up plexiglass, but at the end of the day, I'm still giving you my passport, I'm still giving you my driver's license or, or something that as contactless as possible. Is that, is that something else you guys have, have prepared for? Let me break that into maybe two. So the, the, the technology that, that we are pushing out, you know, all that stuff's tested. We've got testing facilities to make sure that's ready to go. And then like any smart organization that's this big, we'll put it in one or two places and see how it goes. We'll test it in our facility, and then we'll test it at a live operation, always ready to back it out in the event it doesn't work. And every new patch is a new opportunity for eight things to go offline. And when you have 90 mission systems and, and goodness knows how many other systems that we rely on out there, every time we patch something, we kind of, you know, we have to be ready to pull that back uh, and, and do that. As far as, you know, new technologies out there, again, we'll look at those things before we move them out. We'll make sure that uh, they're ready to go. And then if it's something that's going to take a, a huge amount of bandwidth, there are things coming up, maybe not that currently we're using, but if we get into artificial intelligence and things like that, you're going to have to have a different level of bandwidth. You know, are you computing on the edge? Or are you computing back a little closer to home? How would you do that? Those are things we're looking at. You talked a little about touchless technologies. Uh, we're looking at a few of those. One of those is, uh, you know, touchless when you come up to the TDC, and that's the area where they... They document check what you have before you go through the screening. You're in the screening line. You provide your, you know, your, your boarding pass or your mobile phone and your driver's license or your passport. Uh, we're looking at digital ways to do that, touchless ways, so you don't have to do that. We've got some technologies. Uh, they're not completely ready to go, but they're, they're getting close. We're working on that. The way you enroll in some of our programs, whether it's, uh, whether it's um, TSA PreCheck and things like that, we're looking at touchless ways to do that and ways to use the, the, the upcoming uh, mobile uh, driver's license. And we're working with that. We're working with, with companies like Apple uh, and that, you know, the leaders in, in industry, Apple Pay and things like that. It's not so different than what we're looking at. So we're using uh, those bright minds out in industry to say, how can we uh, leverage that uh, technology for TSA and to help our, our customers that are going through the lines at an airport or maybe a seaport getting on a cruise ship, those kinds of things are things we're, we're looking at going forward. I know this is a little bit outside of your, your swim lane, so to speak, but as you talk to the missionaries, you talk to the folks who are worried about you know, the mobile driver's license or touchless ways to, to deal with identity, what 
to your role in supporting them, what, what do you tell them? Hey, it's got to be secure. It's got to be fast. Tell me what the network, you know, I can make sure their network is ready. What is your role in, in terms of that planning, that strategy? Yeah, we have another office, Requirements and Capabilities Analysis Office, that does a lot of that stuff. Works It also works in with our Acquisition and Program Management Office, another office peer to mine, working on this new technology. Mine is to make sure we have people involved in all of their working groups, to make sure cybersecurity is being taken into consideration, things that you're talking about bandwidth. If you're using an existing network, is when are you going to tip it? When is it not going to be able to meet the requirements of the data that you got to pass? So we're involved in that. Again, I'm the authorizing official, so no system can go live without my, my approval. And largely, I'm looking at that from you know, a FATARA standpoint, but largely to make sure it's cyber secure. Uh, we're not spending money on things that we shouldn't be spending money on. And we have a real good teamwork at TSA to make sure we're aligned with the administrator's priorities and the priorities of the agency to drive this forward. So it's pretty efficient and effective the way we do it. Uh, and I, you know, I try and point out potential problem areas well in advance. I don't want to bolt myself on at the back end as well. So, uh, and that's busy because we have so many different uh, initiatives and pilot programs going on in the agency. And I always joke a little bit, you know, a pilot at TSA, when do you turn it off? If it really works, right? So I have to, as the authorizing official, I have to be worried if this thing is successful and we, you know, we've, we've allowed some, some risk in the, in the way uh, it's secured, how do we close that loop if it was a really, really small pilot was only going to last 30 days? Those are the things when you're on the cutting edge trying to get that stuff out there, you have to be mindful of, and it's a good partnership, but it's, Keeps me busy. Keeps, keeps, keeps the blonde hair in my head, I'll tell you. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, your plate is never empty. I know that. Uh, one of the things when we talk about this idea of digital identities and, and even pilots, I know TSA back in August released an RFI looking for some ideas, suggestions around verifying passengers' identities at checkpoints in real time. Uh, again, I know that's out of your area of expertise, but I guess I'm, I, I just wanted to know a little bit about how much do you play a role in terms of paying attention to this type of technology? Is this something that you spend time studying, looking at, or is this something more like as the mission folks or your requirements analysis folks or your, some of your program management folks kind of come to you and say, here's where we're going. Can you support this? Like, where's the give and take? We work closely together. We, first of all, when you're, when you're thinking of what they need, we're involved in that. We'll, we'll always be part of the team. They're very good at making sure you know, the IT environments. And my, my little joke is, if it's a great idea and I don't know about it as a CIO, it might not be a good idea. You, you need to get our buy-in. We need to be part of that process to make sure we're, we're thinking about the cyber and all the other things up front. And that's really works well at TSA. We do, we do a really good job of doing that. And then when we're getting ready to put out that type of a request for proposals, my team will be involved in, in some of, you know, some of the writing up of, on, on those things. And then we will almost always have our participant in, in the evaluation team to take up the cyber piece, to take up, does it re- will it really work? Are we going to be able to support that with our network? You know, it may not be, does the technology work, but can we make it work? Can we pipe it? Uh, so from that perspective, you know, the authorizing official in my, my organization has to be uh, intimately involved with those things to make sure we select vendors and that we can actually uh, execute the idea, that the, the great ideas that, that they're coming up with. I think too often we see the CIO in the old days, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, the CIO brain brought in at the end, 
oh, by the way, Ross, we got this thing, make it work. And you're going, oh, no. It's great to hear that, that not just TSA, but I think I'm hearing it from a lot more CIOs when I talk to them, that the, the involvement is at the beginning of the process, which makes the process work better and leads to more success. And uh, obviously, that RFI or whatever comes from it, you guys will know as they move forward with what, what's important to, to the TSA. Russ, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. We can talk a little bit more about maybe citizen services and, and maybe some more about cybersecurity. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. Viewpoints on MillCloud 2.0, sponsored by GDIT and Intel. Here's Jeffrey Phelan, MillCloud 2.0 Cloud Services Portfolio Lead for GDIT. There's a lot involved when migrating data centers in today's cloud environments. So knowing what tools and technologies are at your disposal can make a huge difference when it comes to mission success. Designed to accelerate cloud data migration and to deliver the highest levels of protection for mission-critical data, MillCloud 2.0 supports cloud data management, backup and recovery, backup as a service, and more. Learn more about MillCloud 2.0 at www.millcloud2.com. To hear more viewpoints on MillCloud 2.0, go to federalnewsnetwork.com, search viewpoints. GDIT, Intel, and the MillCloud 2.0 partner ecosystem are teamed up to provide the agility you need to deliver because the mission matters today. This week, Fed Talk will look at the year in review through the lens of some federal employee associations. Fed Talk brings together the federal community on Federal News Network every other Friday morning at 11. Brought to you by the team at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Tune in this week to hear from Fed's Protection, the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association, the Asian American Government Executives Network, and the Senior Executives Association on their perspective on the year and what's in store for Feds in 2021. Hey, federal employees and retirees. Wherever we are, we can change the world together through the combined federal campaign of the National Capital Area. The CFC is one of the largest and most successful workplace fundraising campaigns in the world. And you're invited to join your colleagues and be the face of change. Through the CFC NCA, you help those in need in your local community, across the nation, and around the world. Whether you care about finding cures for diseases, protecting our environment, or feeding the hungry, the CFCNCA has a charity for any cause you support. Every year we come together and combine our efforts to raise money, volunteer, and show some love to our favorite charities. You can donate to the charities you care about through payroll deduction, pledge volunteer hours, and be the face of change. Pretty cool, huh? So what are you waiting for? Go to GiveCFC.org to learn more. There's no better time to show some love. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. Now, Russ, before break, we were talking a little bit about the idea of helping the mission areas ensure they have what they need and make sure it will work. It's not just a matter of saying, here's the technology we want to buy, whether it's something in the touchless technology or the identity vetting area or, or whatever it is, you still have to make sure it works on your network. And that involves discussion, communication, as you said. So let's talk a little bit about how you work with other CXOs at TSA. How do you ensure that not just you have a seat at the table, but your voice is heard, understood, and you all are moving together in, in, in as much lockstep as possible? One of the things that I think is so critical for a CIO to do is 
besides all the meetings that we're in and uh, talking about all of the different things that initiatives that are going on in the agency is also to get out there and, and make sure you're, you're a good collaborator, a, a good team member with all the other leads, whether that's a CFO, if you're a CIO and you don't have a really good relationship with the CFO, you know, you get yourself into trouble. The same thing with all of my, uh, you know, my counter, my other or organizations or offices at my level, it's really important to go seek them out. Uh, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned it earlier that the CIO is really someone I envision. We're a customer service organization. We're there to help. And if we can get out there and have those conversations before their conversations about, will you let me do this or do that? You're better off. So to get out and have those conversations, if the administrator, if I, uh, if I'm in a meeting that, or not in a meeting, the administrator has pushed something, normally someone will call me and tell me that this is going on, gives me an opportunity to find out more about it. And likewise, you, you want to be a valued customer. If there's something new going on or I'm getting ready to do something, I don't want them to see it in an email that I'm shutting the system down over the weekend. I want to give them time to react and those things. And I think, you know, I've been at TSA 16 and a half years, and I, you get to know the people that do that, that do that well. And as a CIO, it's really critical because you're involved in everything. You can't do anything in an agency without, without IT being involved. I mean, we have some role in everything. So, you know, when I'm not surprised, that's a good thing. And really, it's, it's, I take it on myself as a CIO to go out and try not to be surprised. Go out and sit down. And it's hard now with COVID. I, I don't get to walk up and, and, and just stop by somebody's office. So you have to make, uh, you know, I think we're all working harder these days or we're on more meetings to, to get on the phone and just, hey, how you doing? I think that's really important. I think it makes things work much better. And when you do have a problem, um, everybody knows how to communicate. And I think that's, that's critical for a CIO today. Do you have a sense about how big of a problem shadow IT is for TSA? You, you, generally speaking, TSA is a fairly new organization. You've been around 17 years or so. So hopefully not, you don't have a lot of shadow IT, but I know it's easy for it to pop up. Well, that's, you know, so that's part of my, my visits. You know, what, what are you doing? Some of them aren't so, aren't so innocent on my part. I think we, we've gotten a pretty good handle on it. But, you know, today you buy a, you buy a coffee maker out in a checkpoint somewhere and it's connected to some network somewhere. Normally my sock will see that and it'll light up and we'll ask them what, what they think they're doing. But the ITAR process is pretty effective. You can't spend a dollar without it going through my, my group and at the end of the day myself or my deputy signing off that you can spend the money whether it's IT or not. You get a lot of, oh, don't worry about this, this is an IT, but yet there's a database that has sensitive data. Now that's, that's IT. So it's a challenge, and I don't think people necessarily do it in a nefarious way, but we've got a lot of, a lot of folks, especially out in the field, they're uh, doers. You know, they, they want to get something done, and, and so they have their own, own operation out there, and if they need something, my gosh, they're going to go out and buy it. So this is a bit of a challenge, but so what we try and do is make sure our, my customer folks are reaching out to them frequently enough, and we educate them as best we can, and we minimize that type that type of thing. You never, you never really eliminate it, but I think we've made some good improvement over the last few years on that. I love your coffee pot example. It's so true. Uh, I hear this all the time and you see it all the time in your personal life, the IoT device, the connected device, whatever we're calling it these days, they're everywhere and, and they're, it's only going to increase. So uh, I imagine that, as you said, you're, as long as your sock and your, your knock are, are seeing it, you can, you can try to stay ahead of it. One of the things is related to understanding the 
working with your CXOs and the mission areas is really the, the services you provide to citizens, to customers. TSA is a customer facing, a citizen facing organization as much as the IRS, as much as SSA, as much as many others. You mentioned a few of the changes or a few things you guys are starting to look at and consider. Are there other areas that you're really focusing on the citizen services? And again, I'll go back to whether it's in the digital identity world or sometimes identity vetting to make that process go better. I think we all have had the, uh, I'll call it a little bit of frustrating experience at TSA, some better than others, but you know, how to make it happen more seamlessly. First of all, let me say, as far as TSA goes, I think we are, from my perspective, pretty much the face of the U.S. government. Now, right now, it's a little unique. I mentioned that we're down, I think we're getting back to about 50% of the traveling public. But on a normal day, we would, we would interact with 2.2 million travelers a day. Uh, no other agency comes anywhere close to that. Um, so in a, in a large way, we're very focused on that experience, that customer experience. Our number one mission is security and making sure that those, whether they're flights or whatever other areas that we, we secure, are as secure as can be. That's our top mission. We're not, we're not trying to speed you through. What we're trying to do is make sure prohibitive items don't get into the checkpoint and make it, make it safe for you. But having said that, we definitely are looking, whether it's COVID or not, to improve our ability to make sure we catch fake documents and fake those things. We've gotten very, very good at that. We think there's another step of improvement to be made with touchless technologies, checkpoint use of biometrics. And I talked a little about uh, mobile driver's license. Those things are in the future. They work. We're definitely exploring those. You know, the things I'll talk about, they're not all ready to, I'm not ready to plug them in at a, at a checkpoint. We're still doing a lot of testing and evaluation um, on those things, but they are, we believe they're in the future, that those things you'll be able to come up and touchlessly get through, get into your screening, screening lane at the airport without having to uh, touch anything or hand anybody anything or anything like that. I talked a little about pre-check enrollment, you know, through mobile technologies. Our air cargo team, uh, anything, any air cargo that's going to go on a, on a passenger plane or, or, or a cargo plane, uh, TSA is responsible to make sure that cargo is safe. There's some systems that we have out there that we're trying to replatform so that they're much more efficient and effective and they're, they're more real-time. They kind of existed from the beginning of TSA when we did things uh, right away. So we've been improving those. I think it's now time to make a huge jump in technology in some of those areas, and we're doing that now. Uh, our transportation redress program, if you're someone who's come in and you have difficulties when you get through and they seem to be constant, we have a redress program. We're trying to modernize that a little bit. I think we get pretty good marks on that, but we found that that's an area because enough people are involved in that. We want to streamline that and make it the best customer experience that we can uh, while still making sure the security is in place for, for the folks. So those are some of the things that we're working on. And I think that touch of stuff at the checkpoints are things that you're, you all are going to see you know, in the near future. I know there's a lot of interest in that. And even if COVID, we somehow solve the COVID problem, the vaccines work and we're, we're immune or, or, they're, or, or we're in better shape in, in that 2.2 million travelers a day, being touchless is still something that I think is very exciting for people to kind of move through as, as you know, quickly as possible. Russ, a lot to look forward to coming up, a lot of the, in, in the citizen services world. So I'm sure it's something we'll check back in with you in the near future. So let's take a quick break. We, we can come back. We can, can finish up our conversation. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. What's happening while you're working? Subscribe to In Case You Missed It newsletter at Federal News Network. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, is a global leader in the fight against cancer. 
LLS funds life-saving blood cancer research around the world, providing free information and support services, and is the voice for all blood cancer patients seeking access to quality, affordable care. Through these difficult months, LLS has pioneered multiple support services in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, while remaining steadfast on the $100 million multi-year endeavor to take on children's cancer from every direction through the LLS Children's Initiative. Hero Squad, formerly Pennies for Patients, is an LLS program that partners with schools to incorporate an SEL-enhanced and STEM-focused service learning program while raising funds and awareness for blood cancers and research projects, such as the Children's Initiative. Hero Squad provides students an opportunity to make an impact in the fight for a cure. Whether you're learning virtually, in person, or hybrid in between, your school can partner with LLS and Hero Squad this year. Visit HeroSquad.org for more information. I had cancer for the fourth time. I have bipolar disorder. I was hit by a car. I have a rare disease. I have Down syndrome. Children's health care in the United States is severely underfunded. We can't wait while the debate over a funding solution continues. Kids can't wait. Visit kidscantwait.org to give to your local Children's Miracle Network hospital. Federal News Network. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, host of CyberChat. As a former federal CIO and CISO, I can tell you the threat landscape is a dynamic and evolving matter. My conversations with federal leaders from across the government focus on the latest trends and hottest cyber topics and challenges. Join me for a high-level conversation about how agencies maintain mission security. Tune in Friday mornings at 1030 on Federal News Network or subscribe on iTunes and Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Russ Roberts, the Transportation Security Administration's Chief Information Officer. Russ, before break, we were talking a little bit about citizen services and, and the way you guys are addressing it. One common theme that I've heard time and again during our conversation today is cybersecurity. You said at the very beginning, I don't want to bolt it on at the end. I want to build it at the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity, not just that it's a priority and it's important, but how are you addressing it, given just how much things change and how much that the pandemic and other things kind of continue to make your job more difficult? When you talk about, and we could we could have a 10-hour session on cybersecurity, you know, I think it gets down to the basics of cybersecurity. I always say it's all about the data. Anytime I talk, I say it's all about the data. You know, systems and host protections are in place to protect the data, not really the system, right? You've got, a, you know, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data is what matters most. That's the prism that I look through uh, the challenges, you know, the, I don't want the data leaked. I don't want the data to get out. You know, the, you know, when you're talking about whether it's classified data or personal information data, all those things, that's critical. Uh, obviously, the integrity of the data for the systems that do all of the, the screening and all of the terrorism checks and all the things that we do, they need to make sure that data has not been corrupted in any way or manipulated. And availability, we talked about the stability at the very beginning. Those are the, those are the things that I think are the, be, uh, the, the building blocks uh, of, of our security um, you know, infrastructure and foundation. And, and those are the questions I ask. I start with the most basic questions. What I find is when I go out to somebody who's interested in doing business with us or, or it's a partner and, and I start to look at what's your boundary, can you show me 
a depiction of your boundary. I'm amazed that a third of the time they can't. Another third of the time it's highly inaccurate. And a third of the time the people have a pretty good idea what's in their boundary. Those are the folks that, you know, have a chance. You have a chance if you know what's in your boundary. That, you know, I say that doesn't mean it's easy, uh, especially when you're a large footprint. But even smaller organizations, I see they don't know what's in their boundary and they don't know when something new comes in. Those are, those are the building blocks of fundamentals that need to be there. It's always about patching and scanning and doing patching and patching and patching and all that stuff and trying to keep up. Some of the biggest, most famous breaches, breaches in history are people who go to, go to bed at night and think all their, their firewalls are configured correctly. So you got to be good at that. You got to be agile at that. And you got to stay on top of the building blocks to do that. You know, the computer network, a hygiene, it's, it's patching, patching, patching and backups. You know, we talked, we talked a little bit at the beginning of this backups, test, test them before you have to use them, make sure they work. I think most of us recognize that, but sometimes we don't look at the really big things. What if that didn't work? Or what if that happened? What if we went blue screen? You know, we're not, the larger you are, the less segmented you are. In, in general, and even an organization like TSA, it'd be very difficult. Something happened for me to figure out quickly what happened and what to shut off right away. So those are the things that, that I'm always concerned about. As a CIO, when you talk about as, uh, as I'm the person who authorizes uh, systems, my business risk management, not risk avoidance. Uh, but I need to understand the true risk. You know, to do that, you've got to have a great staff. You've got to have a staff that gives you the truth. And I don't ever want my CISO or that organization to white, you know, to uh, water down the findings. Let's talk about them and let's figure out what we can do. We try to be the office of yes. And if there's a no, then, then, you know, part of our responsibility is to tell you how to get the yes and how to do it in a timely manner and to accept some reasonable risk where we need to. I was in a meeting with our administrator, you know, not, not too, too long ago. And sort of out of the blue, he said to me, you know, there's a bunch of the ex- chief executives uh, of the agency there. And he said, Russ, Russ, explain to me what your, what your risk philosophy is. <laughs> and now when my administrator asks me that <laughs> out of the blue, you know, it's an interesting question. I think, I think all CIOs ought to have that at maybe two or three different levels. What is your risk? Well, my risk tolerance is not zero, right? Uh, I, I can't operate in zero. And I need to have an understanding of the operations. But at the same time, it doesn't mean anything's a go. So those are the, those are the things we always, we always balance. And you better know if something goes wrong, what's it going to do? Um, and, and the stars shouldn't have to align for six months for something bad to happen, you know, because we can always tell you why you can't do something. So those are the challenges. Make it realistic. Uh, and, and then what's the mitigations for that? That, that I think, is uh, my most fulfilling and most worrisome job that I have as a CIO at TSA, because our mission is so critical to make sure that uh, we do that. And to do that, I have to have really good folks. I have an amazing uh, cybersecurity office uh, with amazing folks that uh, will come in and shut the door on me and tell me if they don't think I'm doing something right or I need to worry about something that I'm not worried about. And that, to me, is a mature, healthy organization. Um, and uh, we, we try to get it right most of the time. So that, that's sort of my philosophy on cyber. You know, we've talked about zero trust and all the things in the department. We're, we're in line with that, CDM. All of those things are building blocks. They're pieces of it. But back to that basics, back to understanding what if this happens and, and is it worth taking that risk? And sometimes it's not. And sometimes the CIO is the only one who thinks it's not. 
So you better get your facts together. And we talked about collaboration. I want to have visited you five times before I tell you there's no way we're doing that. So those are things that I think are very important. Training, train your staff. We have a, an amazing fishing program that goes out there and offers uh, football tickets and all, you know, free turkeys and all that kind of stuff. And I can see over the last two or three years, we're getting better and better and having fewer and fewer people click on those things. And that's really important because those fishing attacks are really what ended up getting you. Uh, security awareness, you know, insider threat, all of those things are things that we as, as an agency, uh, not just in the IT side, but are very concerned about. And we work together to try and mitigate as much of that as possible. So I, th- I think that's kind of the basics of cybersecurity through, through my lens. Russ, we've talked a lot about the digital transformation piece. We've talked a lot about some of the digital identity and vetting stuff that you're working through. Give me a sense of in the last minute or two we have here today, what other priorities do you have over the next six or nine months? I always start with my top priorities, the people that execute the mission. Make sure we train them, you know, retain the, the best folks, aggressively hire and hire the right candidates. In IT, it's really hard. It's very hard. The, the, the competition for resources and, frankly, sometimes the salaries, I get, I get great support on that. But it's tough. You can't wait six months to hire a professional. And six weeks is, is sometimes uh, too long. So those critical ones, you need to go, go and get support. And I get great support from the, the head of the human capital office. If I need something, she's not turned me down. She doesn't like it when I come her way, but, uh, but it's, it's, you know, those things are really important. Support your team and build trust in both directions. Those are the, that's, that's where I always start on the priorities. And then the, probably more of the things that you're thinking of, you know, mo, I want to expand our mobile capabilities because we do have that diverse workforce. Uh, we want to have things, a lot more self-help where you can go in on your phone and do your, do your human capital form or put your leave in and make it easy. You don't have to come into the office to do those things. Travel vouchers, all those things. You know, we have federal air marshals out there uh, that still travel a lot, and that's that's really hard for them to get all that stuff done uh, with their heavy mission impact. And so, to try, there's the good news is we got a lot of things that we can make more efficient in the agency. We're working hard to do that. You know, we're finishing up the deployment of 365. You know, OneDrive, SharePoint, Teams are the next thing, so that we're we're in line with what the department has. Power BI, all that stuff, leveraging all the data we have in the agency, we can do that much more efficiently and effectively. My biggest challenge there is, is budget. Russ, there's a lot more I could talk to you about, a lot more to follow up with you on, but unfortunately, we are out of time for today. First, let me thank my guest. Russ Roberts is the Transportation Security Administration's Associate Administrator and Chief Information Officer. Russ, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jason. It was a real privilege, and I hope to, to talk to you again soon. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by NEC Corporation on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.